that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. This is the BFF's podcast, Buckeye Football Futures. I'm Nathan Baird of Cleveland.com along with Stephen Means, who is our main Ohio State football recruiting writer. And there's been some activity this week. There's going to be some more activity, we think, at the end of the week, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But we want to start off today talking about what seems to have been kind of an uptick in the number of 2023 offers that have been going out in the past, I don't know, week or two, right, Stephen? And I guess as you've seen that come in, kind of take people through what has been happening there and what do you think it means as far as what Ohio State is doing and trying to set up the foundation for that 2023 class? Yeah, so 11 offers in the last eight days. Basically, since February 17th, they've sent out 11 offers, which, long story short to start, it's just Ohio State's getting to work in 2023. I think a foundation has been laid in 2022, and as we have seen since Ryan Day has taken over, they've gotten out early and gotten to work. And usually by July, you've got at least half your class. We saw it with 2020 after that Buckeye barbecue and bash thing that they held in the summer uh and a, a just a gaggle of commitments came in between between that date that they had it in june and pretty much between then and august their class was basically full by the time they entered the regular season and the same thing in this 2020 year i mean we saw the run they went on while everybody was stuck in the house back in last spring and so most of their class was full heading into the fall i think right now we're seeing it in 2022 they've got 10 commits already and with the way some of these crystal balls are looking and some of the momentum is going, if they're ever able to get these kids on campus, we're going to be in a similar situation where I think they might have a close to full class by the time Ohio State kicks off in the fall. And so continue itself ahead. You get out ahead here. Obviously, there's no commit yet. But to put it in perspective, Jack Sawyer committed on February 3rd of 2019. So two years ahead of his signing today, a year and, a half and some change ahead of when he could actually sign is when they started that 2021 class. And they started the 2022 class a little bit later. It was more, I think, April 22nd is when Jair Brown joined the class to start things off. And then the very next day, Tegra Shabola joined. And then a week later, they got C.J. Hicks. But for the most part, we're in that window of when Ohio State would probably want to kick off his class now. And it, some of these guys on this list that they offered might be it. Some of the guys who were offered earlier, maybe back in the fall, might also live, live under that umbrella. Brennan Vernon has been a guy who's been favored to Ohio State for months. He's handling his recruitment kind of similar to Zach Harrison and JT Tumulau, where they don't talk to anybody. So you just got to read the tea leaves with that situation and maybe talk to some of the people around him, like his head coaches and stuff like that. And then Luke Montgomery, who just got an offer a couple of days ago, that one's been a long time coming. That's an Ohio kid who plays both sides of the ball, but he's going to play offensive line when he gets here because he's already 6'5", 260 pounds, and continuing to grow. That's a – a big one. That, that, that kid's going to be a top 100, maybe borderline five-star recruit by the time it's all said and done. And fun fact about him, he and LeBron James' oldest son played AAU basketball together. So he's got some athleticism there, and they, they won a lot of games together. So that's just an interesting fact between the two. Uh, but I think the most interesting offer of this list of 11 is Tony Mitchell out of Alabama, the number one cornerback in the country. He's got crystal balls to Alabama, which doesn't – it's not that crazy because Alabama's – Alabama, so they're clearly going to knock that lock down that state. But Ohio State's 
Alabama rarely comes up here. Devontae Smith obviously rings a bell with 2021. They went and got him, but that was a family tie. And then there's a tight end in the 2022 class that Alabama also went, came up here and got. But Ohio State set a tight end already. But they Ohio State rarely goes down there. They they offered one kid in 2021. They did, In 2021, I believe, they offered no kids in 2020. They offered three people in 2019. But they've never landed a kid from Alabama but this is also a high-profile kid who's the number one corner in the country. So it'll be interesting to see if they can maybe sneak into the sneak in behind those lockdown lockdown doors and maybe bring a kid from Alabama up to Ohio State. But that's the one to keep an eye on because it rarely happens, and it's rare, it's probably not going to happen in this situation either. But it is interesting to see Ohio State key in on a guy from that state when it rarely ever happens. Are there trends that get established early in a class like this time of year? I mean, are, do you see them? Are they going after those in-state kids that they think could be those early commits that can be kind of foundational to a class? Is it going out and trying to be the first guys in on guys like you're talking about with Tony Mitchell and national guys? Is it a mix of, I guess it's probably a mix of both, right? Trying to kind of get both of those things going. Yeah, it's a mix of both. I think some of the early people you saw, like guys like Sonny Styles, like I mentioned, Brendan Vernon, even Malachi Nelson, the quarterback out of California. Those are the guys where you locked in on them early in the process because you probably want the if you when you're ready to start a class those are the people you want it to be so you lock in on those guys six months before this day they've been had offers and kind of been sitting around building that relationship with guys Aiden Lee got an offer early the little brother Tristan Lee the five-star tackle from the 2021 recruiting class uh, TJ Shanahan those type of guys Derek LeBlanc those are the type of guys who already had offers and so if they might be on commit watch if if that's where Ohio State is headed. I think now you're starting to build based off still looking obviously for guys commit. You're still looking for that first commit, but also need. You're you're kind of filling them up like they did. They they just offered a running back for the Richard Young and Trey Wisner are, are one of the two of the first running backs to earn offers here. And then the wide receiver position, Brandon Ennis and Jalen Hale. One of one of them is the number one wide receiver in the country for this class. But those are the first two wide receivers to earn offers. So you're starting to where do, okay, where do we need the people at? And wide receiver is going to be a place where you're probably going to take two or three guys every year. And knowing if it's Ohio State, they're going to be top 105 star guys at this point. One of them is going to be the number one wide receiver in the country. But it is more, I think, more need and focus than it is, okay, we really like this kid. We want him to be one of the leaders in the class, and we're going to add him in. That. We want to offer him as early as possible to start building that relationship. I think now it's more need. And you'll start to see some positions are going to have – 17 guys offers while others might have three as you said already 10 commitments for 2022 and we're going to come back to that in a second but how early do you think these 2023 commitments could start happening is there are there any that could happen this spring this summer or is that still a ways off especially considering right now everything is locked down guys it wouldn't be an official visit time anyway for a lot of players but even just making casual visits to campus is not that easy right now. Yeah, that's what makes this hard. I, I think in a normal situation, I'd say within the next month or two, we'd probably see that first guy join on. It's probably going to be an Ohio kid because there's some top 150, top 50 Ohio kids on this list. I think what we're either, we're not going to see anything in the middle. It's either going to be kids are going to hop on because the logic, and you hear this lot of kids. We don't know when the dead period is going to end. They keep throwing these dates out here. Now it's May 31st, but we could get to April 20th and the NCAA announces that they're extending it through June 31st or July 31st. And so it's, it's the mindset is either I'm going to claim my spot now because this is what I really love. And we've built this strong relationship. Even if I've never seen the campus, they've done enough that I can 
coming now, or you're going to hear kids talk about how I want to wait because I want to give it an opportunity for us to get on campus. And so, but then those kids end up, you know, committing a month later because they just get sick and tired of waiting around. So I wouldn't be shocked if a kid commits in the next month and a half, but I also wouldn't be shocked if you don't see the bulk of this 2023 class for any school start committing until June or July, just based on the 2021 class barely had guys who could have gotten on campus, but they at least had the opportunity to see some games in the early stages of their recruitment. The 2022 class is 50, 50, maybe even 40% and half of I've seen a campus 60% have it. These 2023 kids, it's about 90% of this class that probably hasn't seen a campus outside of what's, 90 miles within the radius of their own homes. And so I wouldn't be shocked either way. I think what's really going to impact this class, it's not so much the dead period and what we think of in terms of like official visits and even unofficial visits, weekend things, whatever, summer thing. I think it's what's impacting this class right now is all those kids who would have come here for games last year, come in for a weekend. Again, those kind of unofficial things, you're one of like however many dozen guys who are in for that game, especially in-state guys even, right? Guys who can just mm-hmm. come down from Akron or Wellsville or I'm trying to think of somewhere over by Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Like, <laughs> Look at you knowing the small towns in Ohio. Oh, man, Wellsville, East Liverpool. <laughs> I've got buddies from over there. I used to work there um, who are from there. So I, that's the one little – that's my one little random pocket of Ohio that I can throw out. But those kids couldn't come in last year for those weekend games. And I think that's where there's probably – you're talking about those in-state kids who might have been quicker commits. I wonder if those guys wait a little bit longer than normal just because they don't have that sort of just basic mm-hmm. experience already. Lack of the games, lack of those summer camps where yeah. just summer opportunities too, yeah. to just get here, even if it's not an unofficial visit. But by the way, uh, for people who don't, unofficial visits, they can come to the games. If you come to a game, you come to the, you just get a free ticket, but everything else you basically pay for. While official visit, they, the school pays for everything. But just being able to see the place in person and not just be on a Zoom call, being walked around where you know you're going to see all the good stuff. They're not going to put you on a Zoom call and show you that there's a broken weight in the corner. No, that's something you see when you come here in person. So, yeah. I, I so like I said, either way, I I think if if it's an early commitment, it might be an Ohio kid who can just drive down here himself and come see the place, and it's going to cost him. It's probably a sixty dollar day versus Thank a kid who's from yeah. Te- yeah versus a kid from Texas who's spending six hundred dollars total for flights. Yeah, take a gas and a, a run through the Canes drive-through yeah. or whatever gets you your is, is your your full visit cost. I, yeah. It would be interesting. We'll have to get some athletes on, I think, uh, BFF in the future and kind of talk mm-hmm. about this dynamic, because I, I think you know, it, to me, it's probably not so much about verifying um, that that what they're seeing in the Zoom videos of Ohio State sends them is accurate. I think it's probably more nuanced, and I think it's probably more just about that vibe. You have to actually be in a room with the people that you're you're signing up to spend the rest of your college career with or your entire college career with, like the people that you're trusting, you know, making sure you get a different vibe of someone over in person you do over the phone or even on yeah. Zoom when you when you can see them or FaceTime or whatever. I just feel like those sorts of relationships are important. And there's going to be kids, especially in-state kids probably, who have their whole football life – have been dying for the opportunity to get a Ohio state offer. And maybe for them, like that relationship isn't going to be as important. Like they, they're that sold on Ohio state already. But if you're a kid from another state and you've got Alabama and Clemson and whoever also offering you, you need to do your due diligence. So 
that, that I would be interested in talking to some of those kids. And that's something we're going to have to do. I think down the stretch here on BFF, what should people be looking for this weekend? Let's jump back to the 2022 class already 10 commitments for that. As we've discussed before, we think that might be about half of their allotment that they're going to take for this class, depending on how some roster numbers work out. Should people be expecting maybe some more news pretty soon on that? Yeah, the, the, yeah. There's two kids who will be committing. By the time you guys hear this, a lot of you, because it'll be Friday. This is a Friday pod, and it'll be happening on Friday. There's two kids in the 2022 class who will be committing. The first one, Will Johnson, the five-star cornerback, whose father is Deion Johnson, played for Michigan in the 80s. He's from Michigan, and his decision is down to Ohio State, Michigan, and USC. That's his top three. And it, that it, the way things are reading, he's probably going to stay home and just be a legacy kid who also goes to Michigan. That's a big win for Michigan to fend off USC and Ohio State, Ohio State, because I mean, it's their rival. You don't want to lose a legacy kid to the school <laughs> that you have to right. play at the end of every season. But USC as well, just because Damani Jackson, the five-star cornerback, number one corner in the country, who at one point was favored to Ohio State, he and DeMont and Will have voiced on multiple occasions that they wanted to play together in college. And USC is obviously – on a bit of a run, doing a lot better on the recruiting trail. So to fend both of those schools off, that's a big. That's going to be a big win for Michigan. And then Malachi Hambrick, who was a candidate to be Ohio State's fourth linebacker in this class, an outside linebacker, 150, number one, 150 player in the country out of North Carolina. He's going to stay home and go to North Carolina. So another big win for Mac Jones. He's he start, he, He's got a little thing rolling here. At one point last year, North Carolina had a number, top five recruiting class in the country, obviously until the big boys woke up. But – that's a quality win. I'll State will probably shift its focus to guys like Sean Murphy and Jalen Walker to be one of the final members of Ohio State's 2022 recruiting class from a linebacker standpoint. But the thing to really pay attention to is Kion Grace. That, that, that kid who, who everybody compares to Chris Olave, he'll compare himself to Chris Olave, and a lot of that is because of where he was ranked when he started getting these offers. As a matter of fact, he was the number one, 521 player in the country when Ohio State initially offered him and he was still committed to Arizona. He's since decommitted and has all types of favor momentum towards Ohio State. And he'll be in Columbus this weekend. Speaking of people taking visits, he's going to take the Bennett Christian route and just come on his own and take his own visit, walk around, see the things he needs to see. And that might be the nail in the coffin. That might be the only thing that was missing for him to be able to pull the trigger on a commitment. Obviously, a couple of weeks ago, some of the 2022 guys were teasing about a possible boom coming. They've all got the same Twitter obby right now, which is that that elk on a wall with a Ohio State hat on, which just shows you the type of, you know, I mean, that's the personality that Quinn Ewers is. All I would say is I'd pay attention to him coming off of that visit because it it seems like sometimes when you've got that much momentum towards a school, the only thing that you might be missing is if they can get you on campus, that might be all it needs. That, that school needs to close the deal. So I'd pay a lot of attention to him. He's since jumped up to in the latest updated 247 composite rankings. He's 126. So he's on the Jackson Smith and Jigba path right now as a low rated guy, three star guy. When he gets an offer of him, by the time we get to signing day, he might be a five star wide receiver. That seems significant to me when a guy is coming from from whatever distance in February yeah. to make a visit on their own dime to, to the you know, that, that, that seems like it could be significant to me. So definitely something for people to keep an eye on. Follow the text. If you're not a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. Any decision that comes in on any of those guys, the first place that we report that stuff is to our tech subscribers at that number. So if you haven't signed up, you get a two week free trial and decide if you like it. And like I said, there's going to be some recruiting news coming down the pike pretty soon, and that's where we're going to be sharing it. 
We're going to take a break there. We're going to come back with some of your rapid fire questions from those tech subscribers here on Buckeye Talks BFF podcast. We're back on BFFs. By the way, I screwed up the, the, the title of the podcast right from the start. It's Buckeye Future Fridays, not Buckeye Football Friday. Futures. Yeah. I got confused. We threw out a bunch of possible titles back then. We figured, well, we need it to be – it has to tie into Fridays because it's going to be every Friday, and it's got to yeah. be something about recruiting. So that's where Futures is. So Buckeye Future Fridays. I'll get it right from here on out. But let's just say – just BFFs. That's why we came up with the yeah. – that's why you come up with those because it's, it's just so much easier. We've got some questions here from our tech subscribers. Thanks to those of you who sent it in. This is, I think, you were already touched on this for 2023, but I wanted to kind of explore it a little bit more from the 409. Do you guys think potentially getting the number one wide receiver trend continues? More importantly, do you view how the combo of Alave Wilson was used as the blueprint for how this offense wants to work, wants to work or more just an anomaly given the COVID season plus their overall talent. It seems like the trend would end if that is the blueprint, just because someone has to get left out in regards to targets. My assumption is there's kind of two different questions. I'm going to take the second one first. I'm going to let you tackle that first or more, although you can talk about the second part too. But I do think a lot of the Alave Wilson dynamic, yes, the, the COVID situation and their overall talent both contributed. I think, their overall talent demanded the snaps that they got. The COVID situation made it more difficult, I think, for the freshmen to have a bigger impact. I think that trend will continue more or less for 2021. I don't think you're going to see this split up six ways. It just doesn't make sense to me. I have a lot of respect for Julian Fleming and G. Scott and Jameson Williams and Emeka Igbuka and all those athletes, all of them down the line. I have a ton of respect for them. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to give them first half snaps in big games that should be going to a Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Like that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. They should be mixed in. They will be mixed in more, but I think you're still going to see the balance of the offense go through those two receivers. However, I think down the line, I do think they don't, I don't think you're going to get this on an annual basis where two guys kind of dominate. I think the, the balance kind of shifts a little bit once Alave and Wilson both clear out. And if Alave hadn't come back, that shift already would have started. Then you would, I think, have seen a more equitable distribution of, of snaps and targets in the offense. But once these two guys go out, and it's probably at the end of the season, I think I'd be surprised if Garrett Wilson was back for 2022. So once those guys are both in the NFL, I think things probably do even out a little bit more. And I think that is what they want. I think they do want that more equitable equitable distribution. This just happens to be kind of an odd blip in Ohio State football's recent history where you have two guys who are this talented and this experienced at the same juncture as you're bringing in this big glut of talent behind them. So you can share anything you want to say about that. But then more importantly, to answer the first part of this question, They've had the number one wide receiver now in what three straight classes or four? Correct. Is three that going classes. to three straight classes? Is that going to continue? You think for twenty twenty three? Are they at least a contender to continue that for twenty twenty three? And the thing we should say there is, we don't know for sure because the recruiting rankings aren't out yet for twenty twenty three. Yeah, it, I, I'm not. I mean, are they going to land the number one wide receiver from here until the end of time? No, they're not going to do that. But yes, I, they're in a position now where every single year whoever the number one wide receiver in the country is, you should just assume that Ohio State's in the running for them. That's going to be – right now, there are no composite rankings, so you just go off a of 2-4-7 zone player rankings, and that's Brandon Innes out of Florida, out of Miami Gardens, Florida, True Prep Academy, who just earned an offer. He was one of those 1,100 offer over the past week. 
that's real. They're, Ohio State's going to be in contention for him. And to the point that you were talking about with the Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave dynamic, that, that is, that's a blip. I, we're we're going to see more of a six-man rotation this year. Yes, the targets are going to still be – the percentage of targets are going to be similar to what they were this past year where it's Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson eat first and everybody else gets whatever they did. those two decide they don't want to eat. But we are going to get more back to an equitable situation when we get back to a one a normal world, but also by the time a lot of these 2023 guys will be here, they'll be coming in with an experienced quarterback. We're in a blip where it's we had a COVID year, so the 2020 guys didn't get a normal spring or a normal fall. And then also we come off of that, and now it's a first-year starting quarterback. So in both of those situations, you go with the guys you're comfortable with, and that's also happens to be two of the best wide receivers in the country, so you live with that. And I think these recruits know that. Because if they didn't know that, Jaden Ballard, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Emeka Abuka wouldn't be here. If they didn't think that – if they thought it was only going to be two wide receivers every single year where, okay, we're going to bring in top 100 guy, top 100 guy, and have a room with nine top 100 wide receivers where five or six of them are five stars and only two of them are going to play, they probably wouldn't come here. That wouldn't make much sense. But I do think that the understanding is this is – not the norm. We're going to get back to the six-man rotation, and it's just going to be a crazy, deep, crazy, talented six-man rotation where it's going to be less about the targets and more about if you can get open, you're going to get the ball. And I think what's going to be interesting to watch in those future years, and really it starts as early as 2022, is when they did that six-man rotation before or even the five-man, kind of the modified version in 2019 where K.J. Hill was the only slot, the slot receiver was – there's crossover there between Meyer and Day – and it was Day's offense before that, so maybe I shouldn't make too much of this. But the, the slot position is changing. The athlete that they use at the slot position is changing. I don't know if you're going to see a situation like go back and look at 2018 where, yeah, it was a six-man rotation. But, like, how many of those targets went to those two slot guys? I yeah. think it's going to be a bigger it, – it's going to be a more equitable distribution of targets in the future. I, I would assume it will be. Now, it could depend on who – they decide to put in that slot and when if it's if it's someone like Jackson Smith and Jigba and they decide to just load him up on targets I guess I couldn't necessarily argue with that too if that makes the most sense for that offense but I could also see that dynamic being a little bit different so kind of moving into a third phase right where you go from the six-man rotation to the the two-headed monster to then now back to a a different kind of, of rotation in the future and again maybe it's not six maybe it's four five whatever but I, I do think it is going to be I think this Olave Wilson period kind of exists unto itself. There are just a lot of things that have lined up in a weird way to make that kind of the emphasis. And I, I, I don't necessarily see that continuing in the future. But I, I agree with you that I think Ohio State has become that destination place, the same that it is with whenever there's a number one, whoever the very, very, very top blue chip defensive ends in the country, yep. Ohio State's in the mix. Like quarterbacks, Ohio State's usually in the mix, although you get into some what kind of athlete they are, that sort of thing there a little bit. But in general, Ohio State's going to be in that mix. So I think Ohio State's going to be in that wide receiver mix too. I just You're also right that they're not going to get the number one guy every year. One of these years, the number one guy in the country is going to be from Atlanta or Gainesville, Florida, or Austin, Texas. And I even though they've had a good – They've had a good run pulling guys out of Texas. Yeah. Still, at some point, it's going to be there's going to be regional complications or whatever that, like like you're talking about with Will Jackson, like it's going to be or Will Johnson, like they're going to end up at staying home something it's like just, that. It's just yeah, the semantics of the, I, the that was a great. I'm glad I wrote that story. I mean, it's an interesting thing to talk about the fact that Ohio State because Caleb Burns he's number three now, but that's because he literally just started playing football again like ten days ago. He he had a knee injury in the fall, really early in his junior season, and the fact that. This is how talented he is. 
when they updated the rankings, I think in November, he fell from that top spot. And I think he went to number two or number three. Then when they updated him again, having not played football, he still went back to the number one spot. So that somebody, a texter asked me that. And that's, so I answered him directly with that one. I'm not, listen, by the time we get to sign that Caleb Burton's probably going to be the number one wide receiver in the country again. Once he gets back on the field, once he gets a chance to go out to these camps, these seven on seven tournaments, and more importantly, he's playing football in Texas. So when he's 100% when the football season gets around here, he's – I mean, we saw Jackson Smith and Jigba had 100 catches his senior year. That's out there for Caleb Burton because that's the same body type, it's the same style of play, 6'1", 190-pound receiver. So I, it, the semantics of the getting the actual number one wide receiver in the country are an interesting and cool headline. But the point of the, the question is, is Ohio State now always going to be in the running for a five-star guy who's one of the best wide receivers in the country and in the running for that role? Yes, every single year from here on. As long as Ryan Day and Brian Hartline here, but especially Ryan Day, and they're running this style of offense, Ohio State will always be in the running. Since you brought this up already, I thought we should touch on it quickly. This is from the 925. Are we all at all concerned that Combs, Kerry Combs, has lost his recruiting mojo or that the, quote, others are catching up? And they mentioned this because of the crystal balls that had Jackson and Johnson both going to OSU. And as you mentioned, now Jackson has committed to USC. We think Johnson is probably going to stay home and go to Michigan. They mentioned that there's been some waffling of the Jair Brown situation and, and where he stands. So is there, and they ask, is there a little pressure on newly promoted Matt Barnes? I think, I don't know if I'd say pressure, but I mean, this is going to be a bigger part of Matt Barnes's responsibilities. I mean, he's now the secondary coach. So I think more of, whether or not Ohio State continues to land top defensive backs is going to reflect Matt Barnes's job performance and vice versa. What, where do you kind of see things right now? Because does it, does it signify anything to you that Ohio State is kind of coming up short on, on some of these guys? Or the other thing to remember here too is, again, Ohio State already has 10 commitments for 2022. They've already pulled in some defensive backs. They pulled in a lot, actually, these last couple yeah. of years. That's something that someone like Will Johnson is probably looking at as he looks – for his opportunity, right? So how did, how much do you think this is, again, just limited to these circumstances, his commitment, his decision that he's making, Jackson's decision that he's making, and how much of it could be reflective of uh, a trend away from Ohio State being able to just kind of load up on those guys? I, I think Combs is fine. I think he came back in here and he fixed the cornerback recruiting very quickly. Yes, they missed out on Damani Jackson, but it never – those crystal balls never felt real. And Will Johnson's were interesting because you always had the caveat of his father played cornerback at Michigan. So you have to keep those things. Going. Crystal balls are going to be weird with this, with this cycle. It, it, I, it's a, when the mo, if, if the kid doesn't strike while the iron is hot, you have to like cool off your own expectations of whether or not they're going to come or not, because that's how momentum works. If you don't strike, then it cools off and they move on with and go other places. And with Damani Jackson, I think – I'm not going to say they were thrown out prematurely because like, guys like Steve Whipfong know a lot more than I know at this stage of my career. But I, I think in the moment, it seemed like it was coming. When you put in the perspective of what was happening, Desan McCullough put out a, tri a, a tweet saying, you, have, you guys have no idea what's on the way. And then all of a sudden, all these five-star top ten players in the country are engaging in it and teasing that something is coming. And so it's, oh, wait, they're going to get Damani J Jackson, Quinn Ewers, uh, Keon Saab, Caleb Burton, 
uh, all if you're the number one player at your position, you're coming to Ohio State because they were all engaging in this, and they're all they all. I, I texted this to texters back then. I was like this, yes, there's a big group chat where there's a lot going on because they're kids and they're having conversations and trying to recruit each other and whatnot. And for the most part, people were right. They got Caleb Burden and they got Quinn Ewers, but they missed on Damani Jackson. Will Johnson, I don't think that was – he came down here for a visit, but I don't know how much traction was ever really behind that. And also we have to think about this. Here's where Kerry Combs has proven himself again. Jaheim Singletary did not have an offer in November when he put out a top five. Kerry Combs gets involved. All of a sudden, Jaheim Singletary updates his top five, and then he commits to Ohio State two months later. That's – the Kerry Combs magic. Now with Matt Barnes, it's going to be interesting. It is kind of a Corey Dennis, Ryan Day dynamic a little bit because Kerry Combs exists. There's going to be a, at least for the first cycle, if Ohio State brings in another five-star cornerback. No, let's just take Jaheim Singletary. I just gave all that credit to Kerry Combs, but I'm pretty sure Matt Barnes played a role in that because at some point they had to communicate with Jaheim Singletary that, hey, Kerry Combs is not going to be in your room teaching you anymore. Matt Barnes is. And so it, it, that might be in a situation, at least for the first cycle, where it's Kerry Combs is going to get the credit if they get a five-star, but Matt Barnes might be the re, be, get the blame if that five-star goes elsewhere. But I think they're fine. They've done a really good job recruiting cornerbacks since, uh, since Kerry Combs came back. Again, I think also context is important here, and I want to point this out. Ohio State had three cornerbacks that came in with the 2020 class that did not play. Like in a normal year, obviously nobody accrued um, eligibility or used eligibility last year per the NCAA rule change because of the pandemic. But even if they had, Legend Cavazos, Cam Martinez, Ryan Watts, none of them, they would have all still been able to redshirt. None of them played enough to surpass the redshirt thing, I think. Ryan Watts might have been – I can't remember how much special teams he played. But those guys really didn't play very much as true freshmen. Then you've got a four-man group of guys coming in, Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, J.K. Johnson, Andre Turntine. We think all those guys will stay at cornerback or be cornerbacks. All of those guys coming in. And then already, again, as, as you mentioned and as our texter mentioned, Jaya Brown and Jaheim Singletary already committed for 2022. That's just cornerbacks. So if you're trying to get even more cornerbacks to come in on top of that, I think it, it, it gets a little bit tougher because of the success that you've already had and because of kind of the glut that's backing up a little bit in that, in that freshman class and then what's coming in behind them in 2022. What Ohio State really needs is – capital F, capital S, free safety. That's where they, they – I don't think they can get a tweener defensive back and try to make him a – turn him into a safety. Maybe that works. I don't know. I'd be a lot more comfortable if they went out and got – if I was an Ohio State fan, to go out and get, like, a real free safety. They got Jansen Dunn in this freshman class. But that's almost more – like, if – if it, it's great to get – I mean, not you always want to add top-level cornerbacks. I'm not saying you don't. But I'd be much more concerned if this were, like, you know – upper upper level free safety recruits that they were missing out on right now and, and they're in the running for one I mean, Xavier out of Iowa who just picked up an Alabama offer so here comes Alabama there they, there's got a lot of kids who are getting Alabama offers so that train is waking up I, I which is why you have to almost hold off on all recruiting rankings talks until Alabama wakes up and starts to get the work and then you can see okay where Ohio State's actual chances to beat them out in this class but Xavier he's been Crystal Ball to Ohio State for a while, and it seems like he's been penciled in the way the recruits talk to him. It's, you're already committed, man. You might as well just make it official. So that's a guy to keep an eye on. I already mentioned Keon Saab, who was the number one safety in the class until they rec- 247 reclassified him as an athlete, but he's probably going to play safety at the next level. And both of those guys classify as what you're talking about, Nathan, an actual free safety who was built to play this single high role where he can go sideline to sideline and make plays. 
One more break. We're going to come back and talk more Ohio State football recruiting here on the BFF podcast on Buckeye Talk. Back to wrap things up on Buckeye Futures Friday. I got it right that time. Yeah, we'll we'll get it. We have a – That's your goal, and my goal is to not mess up with Illinois. And I think I did better on yesterday's pod, but I'll let the Texans judge that. You're coming along slowly, not unlike the Illinois basketball program itself. So That's true. we'll see true. where you are in, in a year or two. Is that, um, the more I gain respect for the name of, the, of that state, <laughs> the worse off that team plays. Now we just have to get you to pronounce Kofi Coburn and Io DeSumo's names correctly, too. Yeah. I think probably not by the time they're in the NBA, but maybe one of these days we'll get you, we'll get you going on that. We have a, a specific question about a player. This is from the 610. What is the interest level with Ohio State and five-star defensive end and I White in 2022 out of Imhotep Charter in Philly? I've seen him linked with Ohio State on other sites. Penn State does not recruit the area well at all, and city football has exploded in the last 10 to 15 years. Is that one of the geographic areas the Buckeyes are exploiting going forward? They already seem to be in at St. Joseph's Prep, which is where Tom McCord came from and, yep. and Marvin Harrison Jr., and Imhotep always has a handful of FBS kids every year, too, and I think only Shakatoni has stayed in-state. Is this something to monitor? I want to very quickly say every time I see Imhotep Charter, I think of the great Bruce Campbell film Bubba Hotep, which people should go out and, and search out. We don't have enough time on the podcast today to get into that, but no. it, it's, it's, it's a fantastic no. film. Do you know N.I. White and what Ohio State might be doing there? And I guess more specifically, if you can kind of get into the broader question of Ohio State – staying in Philadelphia after picking up these two big 2021 prospects there and kind of trying to keep that impact as a way to sort of keep sticking that dagger in Penn state a little bit. Yeah. So it's interesting there. Number 36 player, number two weak side defensive end in the country, a five-star defensive end. What makes it interesting is the JT Tumalau and Jack Sawyer situation and all, but even if JT Tumalau didn't exist, it's just, you have Jack Sawyer and I, don't remember. I think 2016, 2017 may have been the last time Ohio State landed a five-star edge rusher in back-to-back years. And their names were Nick Bosa and Jace Young, who ended up being number two picks in NFL draft. And we know what they are now, all that good stuff. So uh, since then, they got chased in 2017. They didn't get a five-star in, in 2018, but they did get Tyreek Smith, who's a high-level four-star. Zach Harrison in 2019 and 2020. I don't, they didn't even have a top 100 defensive end. And then in 2021, obviously, Jack Sawyer. And if they bring in JT Tumalau, what I, I don't know what the, the chances are of a five-star defensive end in the next class wanting to come in behind two guys who are top five players in their class, who we both know by their sophomore year, they're probably going to be impact player starters. Even If they're not doing that as true freshmen, they'll be doing that as sophomores indefinitely. But, yes, if Ohio State is going to bring in a five-star defensive end, he's at the top of that list of guys that you would look at as five stars who they might join him and Shamar Stewart are the only two with an offer, but Shamar Stewart, that's probably not going to happen. So it comes down to Eni White. You got Kenyatta Jackson, who's the number 85 player in the country. Uh, Ernest Cooper, the fourth, who's the number two twelve player in the country. Those are the guys I keep an eye on, but I I just think it's very, it'd be very difficult to pull off basically three five-star defensive ends in, in back-to-back and basically two, recruiting cycles that are right next to each other. That's my only skepticism there. But, yeah, that he's high on the list, and I think he, and he's high on Ohio State as well. So I'd keep an eye on that. 
Penn State really took a dip in the recruiting rankings here, yeah. I think, for 2021, right? But at 2022, yeah. it seems like they've bounced back a little bit and might be kind of at least trying to kind of, you know, keep their head above water as far as this head-to-head with Ohio State. Number five class, second in the Big Ten. They've got seven commitments so far. But with, you know, that caveat that none of them are top 100 recruits. And so, yeah, Eni White would be a huge pickup just to keep that kid home, especially when you – listen, you lost two five-stars in the last class. And I don't – maybe the sixth or seventh best player in your state was the first guy that decided to come to Penn State. So that's – they got to write that wrong. And it starts with a kid like that. And quickly here from Mike in Brunswick, uh, as a former ace recruiter from EA Sports NCAA College Football and also a man approaching 40, Same. I wonder how well, much is – coaching 40 part, but the ace recruiter part. No, there's, I, I feel this question. This is like I t- we talked about, I think, on one of the recent pods. Like my brother and I, we always used to just do the recruiting and all of the like front office stuff on all those yeah. games. We'd actually care about playing the games head to head. So you would just cycle through like you know 30 seasons in a weekend. I wonder how much tradition plays into a player's decision to come to Ohio State. For example, do kids these days care about players like Archie Griffin, Chris Spielman, et cetera? Do they care about the snowball, the 10-year war, Woody? Interested to hear your perspective. I, I would. My guess is, and you talk to these players more from a recruiting decision standpoint, there's players who've probably heard of Archie Griffin. I don't know how many players, especially like national recruits, know or care about Chris Spielman and that's not a yeah. it's not a jab about Chris Spielman it's just that it's getting a little bit out of sight out of mind I think for those guys but I do think I, the, the question I'm curious to hear from you is tradition would seem to be a huge impact for from the in-state perspective when you're talking about kids that aren't top 100 kids or five-star kids I that's we've talked many many times on the podcast that you can really make that like in-state Ohio State tradition appeal and I, and those guys feel it every day as they walk around the halls of their school or maybe their parents were alums that sort of thing like I think it probably is a real connection there does tradition you think affect any of these national commitments and I know that some have we've talked before also about how Ohio State goes and finds players that have an Ohio connection or or maybe even sometimes a program connection but just in general is, is tradition important on the national landscape or is it really much more about the very recent past and what's happening in a program right now that makes the impact there? Yes and no, I think is the best way to answer that. I think it kind of reminds me of my first year on the beat when they went to the Rose Bowl and, and everybody was going around asking them about their thoughts in the Rose Bowl and how prestigious it was and how they viewed it. And I, there was a way that Ohio State fans view the Rose Bowl as – the signifier that you won the Big Ten and this is how you used to finish your season out. While for a lot of these those players, it was, oh, I remember Vince Young and USC playing in that national championship. What was that, 2006? And Vince Young just going crazy in that game. That's how they remember some of these. I think tradition in the sense of they know the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry exists and they know it's a big deal. But no, because they don't realize how big of a deal it is until they get here. And I think Ohio kids know how big of a deal it is because they grew up in it. You know, Jack Sawyer isn't going to have to be taught that he's not allowed to say the word Michigan. And actually, I'll use this example, because I, I think I tell this story to the texters. Sign up to the text. I, I send some of this stuff all the time. I asked back during the Michigan week, which is a funny story, because I was actually on the phone with Kyle McCord talking with him when it, the announcement came out that the Michigan game was canceled. So I got to tell him that news and he was very bummed out about it, but it stemmed on a question for me of when's the last time you said the word Michigan? Cause you know, players, they coaches that they call team up North, they don't call it Michigan. 
And he told me the story about how he said it in the Woody while Corey Dennis was walking around, walking him around, giving him a tour of the facility. And Corey Dennis basically just got on him and started yelling at him. And it's probably the only time Corey Dennis has ever yelled at a recruit, but he yelled at him because he said the word Michigan. And he hasn't said it since. He probably said it since, but I'll be for, for the sake of the story. That's how he learned about how serious the Michigan rivalry was. Jack Sawyer doesn't have to have that lesson when he comes and walks around the Woody to know that you call a team up north in this place and you don't wear blue when you're walking around this facility. As a matter of fact, you throw anything that's maize and blue out of your wardrobe. And so I think that's how these recruits look at it. When you're a national recruit, you know it exists. You understand that, yes, Archie Griffin is the only two-time Heisman winner. You understand who Eddie George is and that Ohio State's won a national championship in 2014 and in 2002. You know who Troy Smith is and Ted Ginn and Ezekiel Elliott going down the line. But it's not engraved in your DNA to the point where it's something that's a normal practice for you. It's still something you have to learn when you get on campus. And so that's how you have to view it. If you're going to – Ryan Day, Chris Spielman, you can't show Julian Fleming highlights of Chris Spielman and expect him to know who that is. But you can – they care more about what you can do now than what you were doing 40 years ago. Because, I mean, Notre Dame hasn't won a national championship in how long? So, you know, tradition is great, but are you winning right now? Can you help them get to the NFL and help them compete for a national championship right now? Makes a lot of sense. Thanks to those of you who sent in questions today. We appreciate it as always. And come back Saturday morning. We will have a weekend edition of Buckeye Talk coming for you. But for today, that is another episode of BFFs. For Stephen Means, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.